0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. If you've been paying any attention at all to the media yesterday, you'll know that in the race to the Victorian state election in November, Labour and the coalition are virtually neck in neck. And it seems they're also breaking their necks to build mega road projects. Hello, I'm John Langer, and this is Dirt Radio. We're sponsored by Friends of the Earth Melbourne, and you can find them at melbournefoe.org.au. And this week, we're going to continue our special series of shows focusing all this month on sustainable cities and issues connected to transport and urban planning. One of those major road projects was announced in April by Premier Daniel Andrews. This project is going to convert a four-lane road into a massive freeway. Alex Breskin campaigns with a community group called Residents Against the Morty Alec Freeway, and he's on the phone to explain some of the issues. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, John. Well, we're here in Collingwood, and it's a fair way away from where all of this is going to be happening. Give us a bit of a p- picture of what's there now and what's being planned.
0: Certainly. So, just to give a bit of an overview to your listeners. Mordialloc is actually a state electorate that uh, this proposal freeway is going to go through. It resides entirely within the city of Kingston, but the suburb of Mordialloc itself isn't actually being affected here. And that kind of first shows you what um, is actually on the cards here, because this really is just a stunt to get more votes for the uh, for the government. And that's why and that's where it's all framed. The areas affected will be Waterways, which is a suburb created within a reclaimed wetland. Rayside Park, which parts of which will be shaved off with the construction of this freeway and it will threaten the wetland there. There's uh, Woodlands Wetlands, which is just next to the park and it will completely cut off that uh, wetland entirely. There's Aspendale Gardens, which is a suburb that nestles between Edithville Seaford Wetland and the Mordiala Creek, and it's right next to this freeway. And finally, you have Dingley Village, which is a suburb further inland that already is surrounded by major arterials and uh, freeways. And basically, the governments at the time said that all these freeways will help them in their traffic journeys. And all all it's really done is added more traffic to them and made life a little bit worse there.
1: Just uh, again, just to give us a little bit of an idea, where does this uh, freeway? That's this. Where is it going to start, and where is it going to end? What's What's the idea of actually putting it in place?
0: So the idea is to build it in between the Mornington Peninsula Freeway, so where it ends currently on Springvale Road, and put it forward towards with uh, just I guess in the halfway point of the Dingley Bypass, and at that stage, traffic will go through to the Dingley through the Dingley Bypass and onto South Road and Roger Roads, which is two largely of congested roads as it is. Mm. Um, I guess the idea would be to divert more traffic from the freeway onto this other bypass, even though a route already exists, which is just up Springvale Road.
1: Mm. The residents against Alec Freeway have got, as you've just mentioned, a number of serious objections to building this road, and one of them is the... Strangely enough, and I guess not strangely enough really, is the entrenching of more car dependence rather than thinking about public transport. Can you just talk us through a bit of that?
0: Certainly. So about 90% of users around Kingston use just cars, not public transport. And this is mainly because of the low frequencies in buses and uh, the sporadic use of trains. Over in the north, you have the uh, Pakenham-Cranbourne line, which is... Pretty over-congested as it is, people are packed in like sardines. While on the south, people don't quite use the Frankston line as much, but the problem there is there's no real ways to actually get to the Frankston line because buses don't uh, really connect on as uh, quickly as people would like. So that puts a lot of uh, dependency on cars because that's the only way to get from one place to another, especially if they want to go northwards or southwards because the train lines only go inwards. Towards the city. Mm. Not everyone uh, works in the city. Some people work within uh, the areas inside Kingston. Maybe they even work uh, across the city, so they might work in Danong and like. There is no way currently to really connect onto them unless you're willing to wait thirty minutes or or fifteen minutes for the next bus. Which you know, I just talked to my coworker this morning. He has to take the bus every day, and he's over in Everton we got the 903, which is one of the more uh, frequent buses that you can get in Melbourne. And, you know, it's usually uh, not on time. It's usually late. Usually the frequency is just broken. So there's a lot to be desired upon public transport, and it's part of the reason why people uh, don't use it. But the government looked at these uh, this data for whatever reason and said, Oh well, look—you know, ninety percent people use the roads, so we should build more roads. <laughs> only contributing further to yep, the problem.
1: Yep, yep, yep. I look, I, I, I read you loud and clear, Alex. Absolutely, um, buses. That's a, it's, 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 to me, it's a look. It's a no-brainer, really. Uh, exactly as you're saying, but uh, I, I, I just don't understand the the rationale. And the other thing that that I, I was reading because I, I ran a, I. read read across a number of things before I'm talking to you, but apparently there was a a study or uh, an overview given by a planning expert, um, and he was basically saying – from RMIT, and he's an urban planner, and he's basically saying that this this freeway that they're putting in place is is something – it's a plan that was put together 50 years ago.
0: That's right. It was made in 1969 or around that time. Um, It was actually this uh, concept called, people dubbed it the Waffle Plan. It was essentially this idea to make the entirety of Melbourne just like Los Angeles, just a whole bunch of uh, ribbons of concrete all over the place to get uh, cars from one place to another. Now, one problem they found in Los Angeles is the more they built these freeways, the more induced demands they brought. So even though they had this huge, huge freeway network, um, it didn't actually help our traffic whatsoever; just contributed to it. So they ended up becoming, uh, still becoming, you know, gridlock, regardless of how many free-flowing freeways they had. And that's essentially what they wanted back in, uh, in the 60s. They decided uh, they brought in these planners from Los Angeles, thinking, "Oh, this sounds like a good plan. Let's bring them in." Um, and then people started to have second thoughts specifically with this plan, with the, uh, the Morialic Freeway, because it was meant to connect the Mornington Peninsula Freeway. However, it was also meant to connect up to the M1 Freeway and Monash Freeway. Mm-hmm. Now, that wouldn't happen because there's too many houses in the way. Mm-hmm. So essentially, the freeway as it's um, considered right now doesn't really connect to anything. The business case is no longer really there, but they're still trying to go ahead with it because, to be honest, Rose is trying to uh, keep their jobs.
1: Mm. And also, as I understand it, it's, it's a marginal seat. Is that right? It's, it's uh, it, politically very important.
0: That's right. This can make or break the government. Um, whether Mordialica sits with the Libs or with the Labour Party, um, it could essentially mean that uh, the government is that party. It's one of the bellwether seats that they're throwing um, hundreds of millions of, oh hundreds of thousands of dollars
1: to mm. get. Mm. Look, the other, the other thing that you you have alluded to it just before another objection that you've got to, or your your organisation's got to this uh, freeway is environmental, and it's a uh, tell us about the wetland habitat, and it's quite extensive.
0: Yes, it is. So there's the Edithville Seaford wetlands, which is just south of uh, waterways, uh, waterways as it is. And that is a Ramsar wetland. So the Ramza wetland is basically internationally based. It's uh, something that's you know incredibly important because that's where all the birds uh, migrate to. you you got um, stuff like the... There's a Siberian bird called the Latham snipe. It comes all the way from Russia, all the way down south to Australia, and this is the southernmost point. Now... The only way you can really do that is by traveling along the um, network of parks that we do have, such as through Brayside Park and the rest. The other problem that can come out of this, though, is with the Mordiala Creek and all that, and with the groundwater, is that if you drive pylons into the waterways wetlands, which they're planning to do to get this uh, freeway going, they basically have to go through a whole bunch of acid sulfates, and there's a good chance those acid sulfates will come and rise up into, the, uh, through to the water, and cause irreversible acidic um, poisoning throughout that wetland, which isn't exactly something that birds really want to deal with. And it absolutely puts a threat to the Ramsar wetland and the, in the seafood, Edithville Seaford wetland. Um, but that's not even, you know, the start of it. You you still have something close to. I think it's 150, even 200 bird species that come and reside in Brayside Park. You have a whole bunch of animals, such as echidnas, that go through the entire area mm. that will now have uh disconnect because nine kilometers of this, um, what used to be a reserve, will turn into a freeway. Mm. Mm. You'll have the woodlands wetlands, which will be completely disconnected from the park. So now all these animals will be essentially stranded. We'll have to make the journey across this freeway. Um, and yeah, all this will do is cause more health impacts to residents because, suddenly the 300 metres away from them is a freeway where they're expecting a lot of use to come out of it. And that's not good for anyone because the particle mm. will affect people's respiratory systems.
1: Just, uh, just to round us up, uh, have you got any special campaign plans for residents against Mordialic Freeway over the next few months?
0: Yeah, we do. So we're going to be handing out a whole bunch of leaflets uh, around in the uh, railway stations. We're putting up banners all across. We had one particularly successful event that we did yesterday where we went to the end of uh, the Mornington Peninsula Freeway, put up our uh, sign saying, Save the Wetlands, and you know, an advertising the RAF itself. We got a lot of people honking in support, mm. and people do see the um, importance of the wetlands mm. and the environment in the area. So it's really, you know, it's really heartwarming to uh, get that type of response, especially that's, you know, in early mornings when it's uh, cold as hell. Yes,
1: yes, So So yes, re- exactly. really,
0: it's really great. Um, we'll also be, yeah, we'll also be doing leaflet drops and all the rest. And we'll be uh, fighting this during the EES trials. We'll be um, fighting this in, during the elections. Mm. We'll be doing what we can. Um Tell us, I'd suggest pe-
1: sorry yep. I was yeah, I was just gonna say can where can people find out more about this?
0: Uh, I was just about to tell you
1: good <laughs> um,
0: go over to our Facebook, we have a lot of postings happening out on a uh, on our Facebook page called uh at sign no freeway so that's um, or just look for RAMP, Residents Against Mordialic Freeway. Either way, you'll find our page, and I would encourage all your listeners to join up and have a look at what's going on, because this is probably what's going to make the government is the Roe Project, and uh, all the road Projects across the entirety of Melbourne, for that matter.
1: Alex, you've been talking about some really important issues, and I wish you all the best with uh, all the work that you're doing.
0: Thank you very much, John.
1: Thanks for being on Dirt Radio.
0: Uh, have a good one. Bye.
1: And that was Alex Breskin. He's campaigns with the Community Group Residents Against Morty Alec Freeway, and we'll be putting up links to their campaign on the 3CR Dirt Radio website. And as you heard from Alex, you can find him on Facebook as well. Yeah, I'm Brian. This is Nigel. How hey, you going? Happy Night, Oak week. And yeah, we you're going to do a bit of solo on the DJ. Beautiful. Beautiful. In July 2018, 3CR proudly presents
2: Beyond the Bars Coming to you right across NADOC Week Beyond the Bars is Australia's only live prison radio broadcast Giving a voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates On Monday July 9th, we're live from Deer Park Women's Prison from 11am On Tuesday July 10th, we're at Barwon Prison from 11 to 2 on Wednesday, July 11th, you can hear from the men at Fulham between 12 and 2 and then catch the men from Loddon Prison between 2 and 4. On Thursday, July 12th, we're live from Port Phillip Prison and on Friday, our final broadcast for the week is from Marganeke Correctional Centre between 11 and 2. Make sure you tune in for Beyond the Bars 2018, Monday, July 9th through to Friday, July 13th, celebrating NADOC Week with the men and women inside.
1: This is Dirt Radio, and we're talking transport and urban planning. Now, let's turn away from the specifics of an on-the-ground campaign and look at some of the bigger picture issues around transport and planning. And I don't have to tell you that in Melbourne, transport planning has become, to use the old cliche, a political football for the major parties – And that's even more the case in the run-up to the state election. Crystal Legacy teaches and researches in the area of urban planning at University of Melbourne, and she's been trying to come to grips with some of these big-picture issues. Hello, Crystal.
2: Hi, John. How are you?
1: Good. I want to ask you to start with what makes transport planning so political and so controversial?
2: (laughs) Well, I think the thing to remember is that transport planning is always going to be political. It's, it's about the allocation of finite resources in a, in a big place like metropolitan uh, Melbourne. So it's, there's always going to be an element of politics. But what makes transport planning so political right now in Victoria is, is, is a result of a number of things that are happening, and one of which is we don't really have a coherent vision for Melbourne, a coherent vision about where we're going and what role transport uh, roads and rail and walking and cycling play in that future. Um, and, and to take one step um, next to sort of the vision, we don't have a plan. We don't have an integrated transport plan. And you probably will hear us academics and, and people in the community talk about that. You know, why don't we have an integrated mm. transport plan? And then, of course, the other issue is there seems to be a lack of a clear evidence base um, to support the transport projects that the government is currently building. I mean, the evidence base is is no doubt there. Um, In some cases, they are really well articulated, like Melbourne Metro and the level crossings. Um, But when it comes to transport, because of the relationship with the private sector, often these projects become... um, Bound by commercial and confidence laws, and so they're not as transparent and as forthcoming as they as they should be. I think, mm, um, mm. and yes, and, and I guess the last thing to say is that uh, politicians don't aren't doing aren't doing their work in terms of selling the vision and selling the project relative to that vision. So how is it that Northeast Link or the Mardi freeway or Westgate tunnel, to what extent is that going to make Melbourne a better place in the future? And how is it going to address issues like equity and social justice and environmental sustainability and public health, which is a big issue for a lot of people at the moment?
1: Yeah, look, all the things that you've just touched on in the big picture we've just been talking to the residents against the Mordialic Freeway and on the ground that's exactly what I just did an interview with with someone from that campaign exactly the sorts of things you're talking about but but in very practical kind of terms and in, in relation to what they're yeah. doing there uh, well, uh, just just to go back to what you've just said about the the big picture plan, the the urban mm-hmm. plan. What, why isn't there a plan in, in, in Victoria, in Melbourne? What's, what's the history of that? Or have you been able to discover that?
2: Well, we, we do have, um, Plans that have been uh, pretty powerful. The one that we like to make reference to is the 1969 transport plan. Um, and and that plan is, is one in which um, we're still trying to build. I mean, um, the freeways, the Northeast Link, the completion of the Western Ring Road was a project that was, you know, a part of the 1969 transport plan. Um, and, and certainly in, in 2008, we saw the Rod Eddington study, so we have, have had a, a really large-scale study completed um, at that time, which precipitated um, a conversation around the East-West Link, the 18-kilometer Stage 1 and 2 East-West Link, and, and Melbourne Metro was born out of that as well. So there's, there's been, there certainly has been been work thinking about our future, but in terms of an integrated transport plan, what, what I mean by that is not just lines on, on a map per se, but a conversation about what kinds of projects should we be prioritizing? How might we sequence the delivery of those projects? And then how do we fund them? Mm-hmm. And that's a really big conversation that we're just not having here in Melbourne. But my work in Toronto and in Vancouver, those conversations are being had in the community and by politicians in a very sort of public way. So in the media, day in and day out about how are we going to fund this infrastructure? And they're having conversations about the alternatives as to how they might do that.
1: The other thing that's, uh, I guess, a very important part of this discussion is the role of the community in transport planning. What, what do you see as the role of the community?
2: Well, one thing that we, we need to, to remember about the community is that they're really, they're really quite savvy. And, and because uh, consultation processes around mega urban transport projects are designed with uh, an EES process with environmental effects process in place whereby community are invited to submit, to offer a submission, and then at times um, um, to um, participate in a hearing, the knowledge in the community around transport planning is really quite strong. Um, and that's one thing that we need to remember, that when we engage with the community, quote unquote, the community, upon mm. which there are many communities we're mm. talking about mm. here, um, we, we need to remember that we're not just talking to lay citizens who otherwise aren't that concerned about how they get to work so long as they can get to work. Um, We have a whole sector in the community that has done the groundwork, that are thinking carefully and critically and in a really sort of in-depth way about some of the problems. And they, too, are coming forward with their proposals and their plans about how we might address some of our mobility challenges. So when we talk about how do we engage the community, I mean, one of the things that I'd like to see Victoria do is engage the community around priorities, so in plan Melbourne we talked about what kind of city do we want to live in, how might we be sustainable and livable and then we and then there's a big gap, and then we go directly into an announcement that you know the government is going to invest in this road, and then we start going into project planning and then there's a consultation process around that, but there's a big gap between the development of a land use plan, which is about a vision, and the project plan. And we need to have a conversation about how we set our priorities.
1: Mm. Well, how, how do you do, do – do you need to make government or bureaucracies a bit more open Open to have those community voices come in? Is that, is that very important?
2: Well, I think one of the things that we need to see happen is um, um, business cases developed before infrastructure investments are announced. So, so it would be very interesting if we had all business cases put forward for, you know, Melbourne Metro, Northeast Link, East West Link, Westgate Tunnel, Airport Rail, whatever projects that, you know, the government might be interested in, have that out there publicly available and uh, part of the conversation. Um, and, and, and at that point, we then, you know, we then determine, well, what is what is it that we want to go forward with? And that decision might be made through an election. You know, you might have a Matthew, Matthew Guy and a Daniel, Daniel Andrews who might say, well, this project should go forward versus that project should go forward. And then let the people decide which mm. project should they value enough to, to put forward as the priority. And that's where the political process does come into play.
1: Are those sorts? Of, you mentioned uh, Vancouver and Toronto. Are those sorts of things happening in those cities? Is it a bit more open for community engagement?
2: Yes. I mean, one of the things that's interesting about Vancouver is that in Vancouver, we, they have a governance structure whereby the municipalities, so the local councils, the local governments work together um, to produce a transport vision, right? So it's not delivered by the province in the same way that the state delivers it for us. Mm-hmm. It is actually developed by local, commun- I'm sorry, local councils who represent their local communities through a grassroots bottom-up. Effort. And that's very, very different. And when you plan in that way, you, 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 you uh, allow yourself to move away from the partisan politics that we see in a place like Victoria, where you have a Liberal government that wants to do one thing and a Labor government that wants to do something quite different.
1: That mm. stuff
2: is neutralized when it's done at, at a local council level. Now, that's not to say that it's not easy. I mean, there's a lot of negotiations, a lot of trade-offs that have to be made, and you know, a lot of hearts that are broken in the process, um, and, and these processes are long. Mm. But when a decision is made, it sticks, mm. and then they move on into a conversation about, well, now that we've got a plan and these are the priorities – Or our region, how are we going to fund them? And then that's another conversation.
1: Mm, Very interesting. Look, I I, I just want to finally ask you something, because you teach a subject, a new subject, at the University of Melbourne called urban transport politics. And if you were to summarize in a few words, probably a very hard thing to do, if you had to summarize, what lesson would you like the students to leave with from your class?
2: Yeah. So what I want my students to learn is, is about the political um, context in which planning is undertaken in this city um, and not to be afraid of it. So rather than come back after you graduate and say to me as, the, as your former lecturer, geez, Crystal, I didn't realize how political everything is out there. Um, I, I want to I equip the students with the knowledge and, and the tools to intervene and engage with the politics productively so that we can move the politics away from where we are at the moment where you know we're having conversations about tolls versus trains into a more mature conversation whereby uh, we're looking at the complexity of transport planning rather than just engaging in it on this ideological level, which is still important. We need to name it. But the, the, the thing that I want my students to learn is to be able to, to understand what's an ideological argument versus what's an argument based in evidence.
1: I think we should encourage students to take your class, Crystal. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, thank (laughs) you. (laughs) (laughs) Look, thank you so much for being on Dirt Radio, and all the best with your class and also with your research and your teaching.
2: Uh, Thank you. Um, Thank you for the opportunity. I really enjoyed myself.
1: And that was Specialist in Urban Planning and Transport Issues, Crystal Legacy, and she's from the University of Melbourne. If you want to find out more about public transport, urban planning, and in fact, any of the issues we've covered today in the show, you can go online and look at FO's Get On Board campaign. That's Board all one word, .org, .au. And if you want to get involved with Get On Board, there's regular meetings on Monday evenings at 6 p.m. at FO headquarters. 312 Smith Street Collingwood Well that's all from Dirt Radio this week we're here again next Tuesday at 9:30